Second Kings, Second Kings. There it is, Second Kings chapter 6. Now I'm always fascinated how God leads people in such uh, dramatic ways. And it's not like that was dramatic, but the location is dramatic. So, that's fascinating. All right, if you, have, if you have your Bible open and you're able to stand, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So we went with them, and when they came to Jordan they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. That would have been a sight. Therefore said he, take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. Father, we love you, and we pray that the Spirit of God would help us this evening as we study this passage. Pray that our hearts would be receptive. We pray that you'd lead and guide, minister to people according to their needs. May you bless our special. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to go ahead and do this first. Um, and do you take notes when Shannon's not here? <laughs> okay. I didn't know if Dawn or you did that, but uh, I want to uh, propose that we take this dear family on for support. I'd mentioned to him 200 a month. Here's what I want to do. Um, uh, we can afford that. So uh, I'm just letting you know, our surplus in that, for some reason, is quite high. That's good, and so we're going to keep taking people on. And uh, so, uh, first of all, I need to bring this up, see if there's any questions about this. All right, next. Uh, Do we have a motion that we do this? Brother Levi, one. And Brother David Downs, too, all in favor of us taking the Klug family on at 200 a month. Can I hear a hearty amen? amen? All opposed, I'll see you later. All right. Well, praise the Lord. Welcome to the church family. We love it. All right. Now, 2 Kings. Now I can concentrate on this. 2 Kings. So, what we have in this story is uh, Elisha, in taking Elijah's place, he has also taken over the, uh, the 
discipleship or the uh, tutorial work of these prophets. And in this particular location, uh, it is apparent that a lot of young men have been called to preach, and there's, there's more young preachers that would be wonderful if this was the problem today. There's more young preachers than there is room to house them where they're getting their training. So we read in verse 1, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. It's just too uh, close. And so they suggest, <coughs> Let us go, we pray thee unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. So Elisha says, Okay, I think it's a good idea. Go ahead and do it. So I'd first of all just mention that it's a, it's a great endeavor that they're looking to do, building a house for God's people and for them. No doubt there were locals, I'm sure, that would visit and learn. Uh, and then we see them inviting Elijah. Look at verse 3. And one said, one of the prophets said, Be content, as he speaks to Elisha, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. Now that was a wise thing. We see a lot about a lot of Jesus Christ in Elisha because Elisha was not a pushy person. And certainly Jesus was not. Elisha gives him the green light, the go ahead, lets him know, I approve, go ahead and build. And then they ask, will you come? We'd like you to come. You know, uh, Anytime you go, you start a new endeavor, it's a wise thing to bring Jesus with you. In John chapter 2, the smartest thing that that young couple did was invite Jesus to the wedding. In Luke chapter 24, on the Emmaus Road, when those two disciples were discussing the death of Christ, or in their mind, the death of Jesus... Uh, and then we know the resurrected Christ showed up, but he disguised himself or hid himself in regards to his person as he communicated with them. And they walked for a good while, and they got to the place where they come to their home, and they were ready to turn in, and Jesus made as though he would go on. And they looked, and they said, Abide with us. The result was, he revealed himself to them in the house. The best thing they could do is invite Jesus in. And the best thing you and I can do in every endeavor, everything we do, whether it's secular or sacred, is invite Jesus in and to lead, guide, and direct. And so they invited Elisha in. And from there, we discover an incident that takes place that we're going to zero in on. So, uh, apparently, a young prophet... This is on now, correct? Uh, a young prophet has borrowed an axe so that he could be involved in the cutting of the timber and building. And, and apparently they're near the, the river. And as he begins to swim, uh, swing the axe, the axe head flings off the axe. Now, I'm familiar with that. I, I did that. Actually, I didn't. It didn't slip off the axe handle when I did it. I broke two axe handles. My dad told me he wanted some wood split, and uh, I didn't do it intentionally, but I was glad it happened. <laughs> because uh, wood splitting did not interest me as a teenager. 
But that actually led to something worse. He said, here's a sledgehammer, here's a wedge. Now you get to go at it this way. Well, that wasn't fun. But this fella, the axe handle flies off into the water, and he is burdened now. He's weighted down. His response, just look at his response. So in verse, uh, uh, let's read verse 4 and 5. So he went with them, that's Elisha, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. You see the exclamation point. It was pretty heavy on his heart this took place. There's an amazing miracle that takes place here. Just reviewing what we've just read, and I'm going to present something that I is throughout the Bible. So he cries to Elisha, I need your help. I don't know what to do. I've borrowed this. It's interesting. Elisha has a, uh, another piece of wood cut down as an axe handle. He doesn't use the same axe handle. He gets another one. And he takes that axe handle and he throws it into the water. And it's after he throws it into the water, you've got to visualize that iron swimming to the axe handle. And then Elisha says, take it. And he took it. Now it's a fascinating story if we left it at that, but there's a spiritual message in every portion of Scripture. The theme of the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is the redemption of man through the Lord Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, that is the theme. You can find the gospel throughout the Bible from Old Testament to New. The Old Testament is the Lord Jesus concealed. The New Testament is the Lord Jesus revealed. Now, one of the things I notice, first of all, before we get into a real practical application, not that this is not practical, but any time I see the gospel, I want to emphasize it. Because that is the big message. There's a gospel message in this little story. Throughout the scriptures, if you look, and I don't believe we're, uh, we're... overindulging on a passage, I think we can draw out the gospel message. First of all, let's consider this. That which he received from another, he lost. Here's a fellow that's got a problem. He's lost something that was given to him by another. He didn't earn it. He was borrowing it. He lost it. Well, you know, uh, life. Life on this earth was given to us by God. God gave Adam and Eve life. They didn't earn it. God gave it to them. And what did they do? They lost it. They lost life. In the spiritual sense, they lost it. And eventually in the physical sense. They would not be immortal after that. They, would, they lost life that was given to them. They lost it. I don't, I don't think I'm over. I think you can hang with me here. And so, the next thing that takes place, at least for this individual, is that it's heavy on his heart. He's mindful of the loss. And you know, when a man, woman, or child, a sinner, discovers their condition before God, that they're lost, it does weigh heavy. It should weigh heavy. It shouldn't be a comfortable position knowing that, well, hell is coming and it's one breath away. That's not comforting at all. 
This individual, he's weighted down, he's heavy, burdened about this loss that, uh, well, he's responsible. He was swinging and it slipped off while he was using it. He cries out, help me, help me. And that's the answer when you, if you cry to the right person when your heart's heavy. And, of course, the Bible says, cast your care upon him for he careth for you. And so, uh, Elisha does something that I... Feel is suggestive. He, let's just look at the text. Just he, uh, verse six, and the man of God said, "Where fell it?" And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick. Well, I think it's suggestive because the cross was made of wood; it had to be cut down, and. Uh, the very question, where fell it? Well, that's usually you're going to find what you lost where you left it or where you lost it. It's interesting that it was in the garden man lost their position with God, and it would be in the garden that Jesus would redeem life back to man. It would be in a garden that he would say it is finished. Well, they would bury him in a tomb, and after the use of the cross, they'd bury him in a tomb, and three days later, this absolutely amazing miracle would take place. This man that was dead is alive. Well, that's even greater than iron swimming, but the fact that iron swam is almost like a resurrection right there. It was at the bottom, and it come out. So I cannot make, any time I have a chance to just kind of Pitch the gospel through the scripture. I don't think we're adding too much here uh, with that. But there's a practical lesson in all of this as well. And so the practical lesson, outside of the fact that redemption's been made available through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is most important, and yet since I believe I'm talking primarily to people who know Christ as their Savior, if, if not... I know the Lord knows how to speak to your heart about that. But the practical lesson is this. Often as we serve the Lord, um, we lose things that are important to our witness. For one reason or another, we lose our joy. We lose our zeal. We lose our passion. We lose our gratitude. These are all things that are very, very important to us having a witness that has a cutting edge, that makes a difference. You know, uh, I, I've seen people get involved and be, get fired up, and then in time, they just, there's a drift, and there's a loss of interest. And they commit to something, and then after a month, two months or so, it's unfortunate that it's that quick. Sometimes it's later, sometimes six months, sometimes a year in. I just, it doesn't interest me anymore. As a matter of fact, they, they can sit in a service and they can hear a message and it's like, I'm not getting anything. And another person can sit in the same service and say, that fed me. And it's like, something's not there, something's not right. The question that ought to be asked is, where fell it? Where fell it? Because most likely, 
where you lost your joy, where you lost your passion, where you lost your, your gratitude is where you'll find it. In marriage, somebody says, well, you know, I just don't love her anymore. I just don't, and what they're saying is I don't have this, this uh, emotional feeling that I had when I first dated her or in our early days of marriage. I don't have this emotional attachment that just draws me to her. It's not there anymore. And uh, so my question really is it, that was never love in the first place. And that's very important for you to understand. But the reality is this, often where you lost it is where you're going to find it because most of the time you lose it when you quit showing kindness, when you quit investing, when you quit giving yourself to her, when you quit uh, showing this interest in her, when you quit uh, uh, complimenting her, when you quit doing those things, all of a sudden she's it affects her, and then all of a sudden you're wondering why it's affected, why she's in a bad mood, and, and then all of a sudden you, you're, you're not interested in her, and it's got this reciprocating effect. And men, I'm just telling you, men, uh, it's, it's on you first and foremost. It, it's to say you've lost this loving feeling. I'm sorry that. The way you get it back is not through waiting for a feeling. The way you get it back is in action. Love is a verb. And you get it back by expressing love, by showing love, showing kindness, service, gratitude, interest in just doing these things. And I promise you this, if you'll do that, that loving feeling will come back. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But oftentimes we lose those things that are important to us, and we wonder, what happened? I just, I'm not interested anymore. I don't care about the, it's like, and I, you would never admit it in church, but it's like, man, I don't even want to be in church. I'm just not interested. No. And, and you know, oh, I hope you wouldn't admit it. But those feelings sometimes come into your heart and your minds, and you say, well, I don't know what happened. I, I, I want to have it back. It's like there's this apathy in me. Where, how, go back to where you lost it. Integrity. That's been the key word on my brain and heart here. Integrity. Am I true to myself? Because that really seems to affect everything else. When I know that I've done something wrong, and I try to just cover that up and move on about my business, you know, I've dis discovered that uh, that takes away an inner confidence. It takes away a, a, a little self-respect. It takes away it. It takes away your integrity. You've given it away. You've because you've not dealt with it. And when you lose that, it affects everything else about you. All of a sudden, you're playing. You're you're living a fake life. How, how's a person get their integrity back? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, they got to take responsibility for their wrongs. Quit playing the cover-up game. Uh, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but he that confesseth and forsaketh shall find... What's that word? What's that word? Mercy. 
mercy. He that confesseth and forsaketh shall find mercy. But I'm just here to tell you before God, because God knows, and if you're a Christian, you know God knows, uh, we cannot play the cover-up game for long without it catching up to us. First of all, it affects us internally. It's a poison that eats at our self-respect and our dignity and steals our joy and confidence and assurance. It takes the edge away from our acts and hinders our witness for Christ. And though we go through the motions and try to live for self-gratification, if you're a born-again child of God, it's going to eat you alive. And eventually you just got to say to yourself, how do I get it back? Well, you go back to where you lost it and you take responsibility. If it was something you stole, you'd go back and you take care of it. You own it. You know, that's the first step of maturity. The first step of maturity is taking responsibility for your actions. I own it. I'm not going to play the victim. I'm not going to blame it on anybody else. I, I stole it, I'm going to pay it back, and I'll pay back more, because I just want to be right. I lied, and I want you to know I lied, and I'm willing to take the consequences, but I lied, and I'm sorry. I did this, and I just want you to know I did it, and it was wrong, I know it was wrong, and here I am. I'm just coming, I'm coming clean, and I, I'll let the chips fall where they may. I'd rather go to prison with a good conscience than live my life as a sham, and all of a sudden, great is the fall thereof, and I still end up having to pay for it anyways, but this time I'm accused of, of being a liar, a liar, a liar, a liar, a liar, liar. How do you get your integrity back? You go back, where fell it? Where fell it? You see, uh, <clears throat> we can't be effective Christians without integrity. Galatians 6, 4, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, I believe it was a life verse for about 10 years of my life. It was a life verse in my early 20s because I needed it. I hit bottom. I did some things I shouldn't have done. I almost messed up opportunity to marry my wife. And I, I mean, I, as far as emotionally, spiritually, man, it was, it was a low point. But I'm thankful God, God let me hit low and get, get to this position. He put me in a place where I, of desperation. And I'll, I, I remember looking, to, thinking, well, I have no place else to turn but God. And that's a good place. That's a good position when you're there. And I remember looking into my Bible. I remember listening to old Ron Hamilton, Patch the Pirate. God gives wings. God gives wings as eagles. I remember listening to that thing over and over again on a cassette tape. Cassette tape. Look that up. It'll be in the dictionary someday. Because I just needed something to soothe my mind and my heart because I'd made some bad decisions. And I, I remember reading in my Bible, I was in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. And here it is. I come across it in my Bible reading. I was in this apartment, uh, this little studio apartment in, in Cumberland there, just on the east side of Indianapolis. And here's what it said. But let every man prove his own work. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Oh, where fell it? It didn't fall when everybody found out about it. It fell back when you left God. I remember talking to a couple, a gentleman that uh, about lost his marriage, and he hadn't been in church for months and months, about lost his marriage. He had a problem with alcohol, and, and uh, that was, that was going to be the... Uh, straw that broke the camel's back in the marriage there and when his dear wife finally said that's enough I'm out he came and he showed up and I remember talking to him thinking one it's good to see you but where have you been and then he 
proceeded to tell me about his heartbreak. His wife is leaving him and the effect it's having on him and, and all of that. And he, he was telling me, I've got a drinking problem and all of that. And I remember thinking, brother, I, I'm sorry to hear that. And I, I, I looked at him and I, I, I prayed with him. But I said this, I said, uh, you know, I need to tell you up front, though, before you ever, before you ever started having the problem of drinking and before your wife ever left you, you left God. You left God. You quit reading your Bible. You quit going to church. You quit serving. And then all this other stuff, that's just a ripple effect of that one huge error. That's where the axe handle slipped off and sunk. How do you get that back? Well, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and my burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. I'm not here to tell you the cross is always going to be the answer. Go back to the cross. What is that all about in a Christian practical sense? It's about dying to self. You also, people get so worried about what everybody else thinks about them, you better be concerned about what God thinks about you. If good Christians, good Christians, spiritual people always appreciate humble people who will own their sin. I appreciate it. Because the reality is none of us are better than you. But don't, don't try to be something you're not in front of me and I know it's not true. I can't trust you. And it's eating you alive anyway. So, hey, listen, where, where fell it? It fell where you turned your back on God. That's where it fell. That's where it fell. You want, it? You want that life back? You want that fellowship back? You'll find it right where you left it. Because you know what? Jesus never leaves you. You leave him. The prodigal son left the father. The father didn't leave the prodigal son. And guess what? When the prodigal son finally went to the hog pen and come to his senses, you know what he discovered when he got home? Dad's right where he's always been. And you know what else he discovered? Dad loves me as much now as he did then. And Dad cares as much for me now as he did then. And he's not embarrassed of me, and he's not ashamed of me. As a matter of fact, he wants to celebrate that I'm back, and it makes me feel so low. But that's all right. You're in a good place now. You're in a place where you can get restored. You're in a place where you can get rebuilt. And the fact of the matter is, there's no successful Christian that's alive who's a success because they never fell. They're a success because they got back up, and they got back in the saddle and decided to get things right with God. Listen, uh, every single person in this room, if you finish, the, uh, if you finish your course for Jesus, uh, the way God wants you to, it's because you got up every time you fell. That's the reality. Where fell it? That's your answer. Where fell it, says Elisha? You lost your axe head? Tell me, point to me where you lost it. Let's go there. That's where we'll find it. Father, bless the message. Thank you for your word. May the Holy Spirit help us. Help us to understand, Father, that revival, refreshment, love, joy, peace, comfort, passion, though it may seem fleeting, often were the cause. And Lord, help us. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you never give up on us, even when we give up on you. 
May you minister to your people this evening. May you revive them. May you give them hope that you're able to do all things to him that believeth. There's nothing impossible with you. And great things are ahead for those who will walk humbly before their God. I pray bless this fellowship. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, let me ask this. Maybe this evening there'd be somebody here that'd say, Preacher, the Lord spoke to my heart. And I, I want to own my actions, and I'm just asking for prayer. Would you lift your hand? I'll pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You do as the Lord leads. We're going to have an invitation song. We have an altar open. You do as the Lord leads. Father, bless those that have raised their hands. Encourage, strengthen, revive, and refresh them. I ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Brother Brian.